Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. This Day in Crime is released every day, Monday through Saturday. For ad-free listening and exclusive bonus content, subscribe to TenderFit Plus at tenderfitplus.com or on Apple Podcasts. Let's start the show. Happy Tuesday, everyone. I'm Todd McComas, and I just figured out why my new dietary weight loss plan hasn't been working. Did you know that intermittent fasting doesn't mean that at certain parts of the day, you're supposed to eat at a much quicker pace than other parts of the day? It's true. So before you decide to start intermittent fasting, Google its definition. Now let's find out what's happening today in crime. Here's Laura Benson. A $2 million phone call. A landmark case in hate crimes. P. Diddy, Puff Daddy, Diddle Doddle Combs, Misbehaves Again. A bowler loses a tournament. And the biggest fish in the river is actually a dead body. All this and more coming up on This Day in Crime. I'm Laura Benson, and today is Tuesday, February 27th, 2024. My first story today tells the sad tale of financial fraud committed in the name of love. But unfortunately, it ended in divorce. Emily Krauss, a manager of mergers and acquisition at oil and natural gas conglomerate BP, served her husband divorce papers after he snooped on her work calls to make a boatload of money. As many of us did, Krauss worked remotely through much of the previous few years, and in 2022, she and her husband were in pretty close quarters at an Airbnb in Rome. Rough, right? As she worked on an acquisition deal for BP, her husband, Tyler Loudon of Houston, Texas, used the small space to his advantage when he bought up shares for the company that was soon to be acquired by her company. Essentially, BP was planning to acquire the company Travel Centers of America, a gas and truck stop operator. Knowing that the value of Travel Centers stock would go up with the acquisition, Tyler bought up over 46,000 shares of the company's stock. When Travel Centers announced that London-based BP would be acquiring the company in February of 2023, the stock jumped 71% in value, and Loudon sold all of his shares and made $1.76 million off the deal. This is dead brilliant, but unfortunately for him, it's quite illegal. Loudon pleaded guilty to securities fraud and insider trading at his hearing on Thursday. Loudon had not told his wife about any of this, but she still fell under fire from her job, and even though she reported his illegal behavior once she found out about it, she still lost her job. 
And this is the part that gets me. According to the court filing, Loudon admitted to his wife that he had illegally traded the shares, quote, to make enough money so that she did not have to work long hours anymore. This is so sad. He just wanted to spend more time with his family. That's one of the more chivalrous reasons to commit a white-collar crime that I've ever heard of. Loudon agreed to forfeit the money he made illegally, and he'll be sentenced in May. He faces up to five years in federal prison and the possible fine of $250,000. Well, we started out today with a crime committed in the name of love, and this next one comes from the darker shadow of that same emotion. Last Friday, a South Carolina man was found guilty of killing a Black transgender woman in the first ever federal trial over a hate crime based on gender identity. To be clear, there have been hate crime prosecutions based on gender identity in the past, but this is the first one to have reached trial. Other similar cases have been settled via plea deals. After a trial that lasted four days, due to strong witness testimony and combined investigations by local authorities and the FBI, Jurors decided that Dakwa Lamik Ritter fatally shot Dime Doe three times in 2019 because of her gender identity. Doe lived in Allendale, South Carolina, a town of only 8,000 people, and Ritter came to visit family from New York in the summer. The two apparently had a secret romantic and sexual relationship, which Ritter had been trying to conceal. It's hard to do that in a small town. Ritter's girlfriend, who lived in New York, also had found out about the relationship between the two. On August 4th, 2019, the pair were pulled over in a traffic stop in the small town, and Doe, the driver, was given a ticket. Only hours later, police found her slumped in the driver's seat, parked in a driveway off a secluded road, shot dead. In the weeks leading up to Doe's death, there were many texts exchanged between the two that showed Ritter becoming increasingly agitated, trying to dispel gossip of their relationship, and reminding Doe to delete their communications from her phone, which she did. He was seen by friends the night of her death looking disheveled and tossing a bunch of items into a trash can. He was also carrying a small gun in his waistband the next day. He apparently burned the clothes he'd been wearing, tossed the weapon, and lied to law enforcement when they brought him in for questioning. With a guilty verdict, Ritter now faces a maximum penalty of life in prison. A sentencing hearing will be scheduled for a later date. A group of teenagers went on an out-of-town bender on Sunday morning, breaking into a luxury car dealership in Wisconsin and stealing nine fancy cars valued at almost a combined $600,000. The nine teenage boys responsible are believed to be a somewhat organized group of young criminals from the Chicago area. The only thing more terrifying to me than teenage boys is a group of teenage boys. That's organized. Absolutely thins my blood. The group broke into a Milwaukee-area Jaguar Land Rover dealership at about 6 a.m. on Sunday morning, filing in wearing masks. They then found the key stash and tried out the fobs. That's the thing. You beep a digital key and it tells you what car it belongs to. So they're a lot easier to steal in a situation like this than if you had to try each key in each car. The teens then jumped into their respective vehicles and drove off. One of them reversed into and slightly crushed another fancy car on his way up. One suspect, a 17-year-old Chicago boy, was arrested on Sunday after he crashed the stolen vehicle along Interstate 94 in a police pursuit. He was being held at the local county jail on a $50,000 bond and faces burglary, theft, and criminal damage to property charges. Wakusha Police Captain Dan Bauman said that the other teen suspects are mostly known to the police task force in the area, 
but they're still searching for the whereabouts of the other eight boys. Six of the nine stolen vehicles have been recovered, five in Chicago and the surrounding suburbs, and then the one that was in the crash that I already mentioned. The glory of this crime is so short-lived in this case, but I suppose all teenage glory is? We'll be right back after I tell you about something that's going to make your life way better. Do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case? How about all of that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere? In June's Journey, each scene leads to a new thrilling storyline. Uncover the mystery of June's sister's murder and find out about scandalous family secrets. The gameplay lets you find hidden clues as you investigate a murder mystery. Escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Let your imagination run wild when decorating your island estate and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Whether you're craving a good mystery or looking for an escape, you can immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. I travel so much while working that I personally love to play it while sitting around airports with all that free time I have. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Sean Diddy Combs, a.k.a. P. Diddy, a.k.a. P. Diddler Combs. Too far? Maybe. Well, he is in trouble again. Combs was sued yesterday by a music producer who accused the hip-hop star of sexual assault and harassment, sex trafficking, and various other forms of misconduct. Music producer Rodney Lilrod Jones Jr. worked with Combs on his 2023 album, The Love Album, Off the Grid, and filed the lawsuit in New York on Monday, accusing Combs of repeated instances of unsolicited groping and harassment, and has some weird things listed like that he had to work in a bathroom while Combs showered and walk around naked? Uh, no thank you. He further claims that Combs tried to coerce him into sexual acts with others and forced him to solicit sex workers, some of whom were underage, as well as to, quote, perform sex acts to the pleasure of Mr. Combs. And if that weren't enough, 
The lawsuit goes even further and names a handful of other defendants, whom Jones believes conspired with Combs in an alleged RICO enterprise to enable this behavior. Federal RICO cases are based on the Racketeer-Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, and they're traditionally used to target the mafia and drug cartels, brought to more effectively sweep up members of alleged crime rings. In this case, Jones claims the RICO enterprise was set up to recruit sex workers, acquire and distribute drugs and guns, and keep him under their control by threatening violence, ostracism from the music industry, and not paying him for his work. The lawsuit names Universal Music Group, its subsidiary Motown Records, Combs's label imprint Love Records, UMG chairman slash CEO Lucian Grange, former Motown CEO and chairman Ethiopia Habtramariam, Combs's chief of staff Christina Corum, and Combs's son Justin Combs as involved in this RICO enterprise. A lawyer for Combs called the events described in the lawsuit as, quote, pure fiction calling the accusations outlandish and claiming to have, quote, overwhelming, indisputable proof that his claims are complete lies. This lawsuit is one of several sexual assault allegations filed against Combs in recent months, including a lawsuit from the R&B singer Cassie that was settled last year. I said, mark it zero. An Indiana bowler wasn't even able to finish competing when he was arrested during a bowling tournament on charges related to child sexual abuse material. Brandon Novak, who has been a professional bowler for over a decade, had the most disappointing tournament of his career when he was taken into custody at the 2024 U.S. Open Bowling Tournament in Indianapolis. Novak had been under investigation for almost a full year, and apparently the investigative team just couldn't wait for him to finish his game. Last February, an Ohio police detective received a complaint regarding Novak's Facebook account being associated with child sexual abuse material. No additional details have been shared about exactly what this means or where the complaint came from. Novak was immediately interviewed by police and his residence was searched. He admitted to purchasing pornography from someone on Snapchat, now known simply as Snap. But initially, he said that he didn't know any of the videos contained images of minors. However, he continued to buy the material, and he later admitted that he did know he was buying child sexual abuse material and trying to hide it. So that's where he really got himself into trouble. Novak was taken into custody on February 1st at the bowling tournament, but at the time, authorities would only say that he was wanted on a warrant that stemmed from a secret indictment. On Thursday of last week, he was finally extradited from Indiana to his home state of Ohio, where he faces his official charges. A lovely Tuesday evening turned creepily eventful for a group of men who just wanted to drink a few beers and relax by the river when a fisherman hooked and reeled in a dead man's body in the Chattahoochee River in Columbus, Georgia. You heard me right. As in, a dead body. The local county coroner, Buddy Bryan, made a statement that, quote, in 12 years, this is the first time that I've had a fisherman hook a body and bring it to shore. He went on to say, this guy probably thought he had caught the biggest catfish ever. Catfish? Yeah, more like catfished. This poor fisherman expects that he caught a delicious dinner and instead got completely traumatized. This particular area of the river is known for drownings, and this body is believed to belong to a homeless man who had fallen into the river a few weeks earlier. Apparently, officers had been called to the area around that time to check out a man who was having a bit of an episode. 
He had a distinct cross tattoo on his shoulder blade, so his corpse was easy to identify in that way. No foul play is suspected, and the poor guy is believed to have accidentally drowned. The body was sent to the morgue, and the coroners are still working to actually identify him. They're hoping that family or contacts will come forward. Needless to say, I think people should avoid that part of the river if they want to fish. Even if no one else drowns in the area for a while, I wouldn't want to be eating fish that have been nibbling on a dead body. Well, that's all I've got for you today. Thanks for tuning in to This Day in Crime. Check out Eric's show tomorrow, and I'll see you again on Thursday. This Day in Crime is a production of Tenderfoot TV in partnership with Odyssey, produced in association with Burning Mountain Productions. Sources for today's episode and full credits can be found in the show notes, and you can follow us on social media at This Day in Crime. We're back at it tomorrow. Thanks for listening.